This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Today, the Panthers have finished a stretch of three games in 12 days, winless, and sit 0-4 as we head into October. We'll discuss their latest loss last Thursday to Coastal Carolina and preview the upcoming trip to Army to wrap up out-of-conference play. But first, let's take a look at that Coastal Carolina game, a 41-24 loss for Georgia State. Things look set to repeat from the last time these teams met in Atlanta, a 51-0 Chanticleers win when Coastal jumped out to a 14-0 lead in the first three minutes. But unlike in 2020, the Panthers fought back and made it a 27-17 game at the half, after which they received the ball to start the third quarter. But when the first drive of the second half ended in an interception and Coastal Carolina put together a nine-minute touchdown drive to restore a three-score advantage, the window for Georgia State closed again. A late and acrobatic pick six by John Trey Hunter gave them a brief hope of a last-minute surge, but one final touchdown for the shots put an end to that and gave us our final score. So, uh, gentlemen, lots to unpack here. What you got? I mean, the first thing to say is kind of what we had talked about before the season, that really, when you looked at the month of September, it was a tough stretch of games, and that you could really realistically say, Georgia State can beat South Carolina. Georgia State can beat North Carolina. Georgia State can beat Coastal Carolina. But if any or all of those were losses... They're good teams, and it wouldn't have been unexpected. I really don't think anything for me changed based on the previous week, except that 0-4 is even worse than 0-3. It's really still just that Charlotte loss threw everything off kilter as far as the rest of the season. Because I think if they're sitting there at 1-3, fighting back in the game, it really could have gone, like like Jordan said in his intro, like it really could have gotten out of hand like it did two years ago, and they didn't let that happen. And just they dug themselves too big a hole to get all the way back into the game. Couldn't, when they got the middle eight one and they got there to a 10-point game and got the ball out of the half, like there was a chance there to fight back in the game. They couldn't do it. Coastal had the absolute back-breaking drive that we've seen Georgia State do to other teams before. Um, nine minutes, I think 16 plays, 84 yards, and just absolutely brutal. Made it 34-17, but... Because of the injuries and just because we knew they were good, like it's disappointing, and especially because you did lose the game to Charlotte, which means it does make you 0-4. Uh, my first thing was just that it, I don't know that it changes much just because it's not like it was the same level of a disappointing loss as what that Charlotte one was. Even though you only lost by one to Charlotte, you lost by 17 to this Coastal team. Yeah, it might not change perceptions, but it's never fun to be compared to some of the other winless teams that are, you know. St- I mean, there's only three now. And yeah. Georgia State's one of them. So that obviously, like, yeah. on its own, just stands out as just a bad thing. It does. And, you know, and it's frustrating because if you go look at, like, Colorado, for example, their schedule, it's, it's not, like, terrible, but... Those are not close losses. And Georgia State has played and, you know, watching all four of these games. Coastal was the first time that they were really out of a game. And, you know, and I, I know that Georgia State lost to South Carolina by, what, 21? You watch that game and you don't think that they're out of that game. And to your point about the fight back, I think that we'll we'll break down the game, obviously, but that is the most important part of that game to me 
because there was a moment in the game where it did look like it was just going to be, okay, it's the same game from 2020. Grayson McCall is Sunbelt quarterback Jesus. You know, nothing nothing's going to happen. They're not going to be able to get him off the field. And, you know, Georgia State's just not going to be able to make, match up with them. You know, Sam Pinckney's returned home and has decided that, yes, he's going to do to Georgia State what he did for Georgia State in years past. But they did fight back. You know, they were able to put some drives together successfully. The defense on the whole was better after the first quarter, even if they weren't perfect, which, you know, you, anytime you give up 21 points in the first quarter, finding a way to only give up 21 after that or 20, excuse me, after that is obviously a win. But it was nice that the offense was able to give you something. It was nice that, you know, despite the rushing for 200 yards streak ending, you know, I, <sighs> Darren Granger did not have a bad day. He didn't have a good day but he didn't have a bad day. And a lot of people I've seen online and, you know, just some, some of the things I've seen from like reporters and stuff, it made it seem like they wanted to get on Granger for his performance. And I really don't think that Granger had that bad a day. Um, a lot of it was the offensive line. A lot of it was receivers not getting open um, and things that we've talked about. But I just, I wanted to say that specifically because I've still liked what I've seen out of Darren Granger and the guy who quarterbacked Georgia State week one against South Carolina is not the guy who just lost that game against Coastal. Yeah, I mean, we can start with the offense, I guess, and we can start right there because I got some numbers. Um, the last three games, the Georgia State passing attack, 62.6% completion percentage, 253 yards per game. Now, obviously, it's three different numbers like it isn't like it's been 250 every game. It was a little bit less against uh, Coastal. They only got 231 that game. It was in the 100s against UNC, and then it was a lot more in the Charlotte game. But 253 yards per game with what you think the rushing attack could get you, like that's an explosive offense that's putting up 30, you know, in the 30s every game. The other part of it is just the rushing attack wasn't there in this game. And there's sort of a reason or a explanation that, both tackles were out, and it was already the backup tackle when Jonathan Bass replaced Montavious Cunningham in the Charlotte game. Uh, Bryson Broadway didn't dress out. I noticed that when I was at the game looking at pregame warm-ups. I was like, that's new. That is not someone we knew was not going to be ready for this game. And there was a play in the Charlotte game where he was a little slow to get up, and I thought like at that point, it's like, oh, we're going to have to replace another one in this game. And then he stayed in the game, so I stopped thinking about it, and then – Thursday comes around, it's a short week, and he wasn't able to go. And so you were playing two new tackles, and Coastal has a good defense. And I I was unsure, like, I knew they were good rush defense, uh, but I knew that the numbers were maybe a little bit deflated because they'd played Gardner-Webb and Buffalo, who weren't very good rushing attacks. But it was both that Georgia State wasn't 100% on the offensive line, and that showed, but also Coastal came ready to play in the trenches they took away a lot of what they were trying to do with the running game. Anytime Georgia State's running for 78 yards under this head coach and with what they're trying to do on offense, I'm not going to guess the game went very well. And it took a lot of opportunities away, um, especially where you're maybe behind schedule in that first quarter, couldn't make first downs happen, couldn't stay on the field. And right at the beginning is when it was going really, really bad where the defense wasn't getting stops, was giving up big chunk plays, and the offense kept going three and out, and it's like, what's going to happen? But they still keep finding ways to hit 
big plays downfield, which is a new thing for this offense at the level it's been at. Uh, they left some opportunities on the field. Drops are still just this nagging thing that are costing Georgia State. You know, this could have been something more in the range of like 300 passing yards if one or two of different plays they had real chances on the catches made when the ball is in the uh, in a catchable area. But yeah, I just think that the rushing attack wasn't there and that left the offense hobbled enough that they couldn't get over that. And the coastal pass rush started teeing off a little bit and, you know, give them credit when they needed to. And when Darren gave presentable balls for interceptions, they got them, you know, the one in the third quarter uh, on the first drive was kind of behind Lewis. Lewis maybe could have worked his way back a little bit and got in the way, at least maybe played DB uh, in effect at that point. But, the DB also made a really good play on that ball. Uh, the second pick Darren threw was pretty bad. Like, there's not really much you can say about that one. He just didn't see a linebacker safety there, and it just went right to him. Uh, but and, and the other ones, the the turnovers, uh, the fumble, I feel bad because Amon Green was just fighting for extra yards. It's really going to be hard to get like back in the game, but it was still fighting, and so that one is kind of hard to fault him for because he was just fighting for extra yards late in the game when he could have been phoning it in. So you kind of respect the effort there, but just got to watch that ball control. But the six turnovers the last two weeks for the offense is mounting and it's not a great trend, but yeah, like Darren last year in conjunction with the defense, forcing a lot of turnovers when he became the starting quarterback turnovers basically evaporated for the offense. So I think you kind of hope that it's just a little blip and that you can get back to controlling the ball and that you can get the run game going again in future games, because, you know, if the turnovers keep up where they're at and if the running game can't get going, like whatever, you've got these injuries, you're going to have to move on with whoever can go play. Like that's where the offense is at, that it's just missing a little bit. Like we had talked about, like maybe the running game is off a little bit, even in games like against Charlotte, where they put up 200 plus yards kind of saw the real lows that it could get to in this last game and you want to get that corrected as soon as possible you know to your point about the rushing attack georgia state likes to control tempo you know it's weird to hear me say that and it's weird to say that because you know you talk to coach elliott and he says you know they want to run 80 plays they want to be up tempo when it matters but you know when I say control tempo, I more or less mean that they just want to control the game and be able to have their entire playbook at their disposal. When you've had the ball once and you're already down 14 nothing, it's college football, so you can't completely eliminate running the ball at all, but that significantly shrinks your playbook. And that's what happened. You know, Coastal had time of possession the time of possession battle for this game specifically. Honestly, it was hilarious. Coastal had the ball for 40 minutes. Georgia State had it for just a hair under 20. That's not enough time. And a a part of that was Georgia State was having very quick drives. They were, what, 5 for 12 on third down? You know, not near where they want to be. Getting off the field, getting the offense off the field consistently. But Coastal also did a good job of, you know, kind of, you know, we're going to be up-tempo and have big plays. But after kind of the first quarter, they just... We're a little bit slow, a little bit methodical. And, you know, like you said, the drive in the second half that just kind of took the wind out of the sails of Georgia State, even after they had gotten a couple of stops and even after they were trying to get back in the game. Um, you know, it's it's 
it's frustrating for a team like Georgia State who relies on running the ball as effectively and, you know, as often as they do when they can't, you know, have their entire playbook at their disposal. It completely changes what they want to do. And and I think, you know, to my comments earlier, this is why I don't want to put so much on Darren despite the three turnovers that he was directly involved in. The second half pick was bad. Yes, I understand that. But you, this was a game where he was going to have to throw. And I think he responded well from that. I think he did find ways to move the ball downfield with his arm in a way that, you know, people, you know, in, a, in the same way that we've seen the last few weeks. Like, I, I have had zero concerns with his ability to move the ball. And, you know, who knows? Maybe if there were a couple more defensive stops and they were just a little bit better on third down, maybe those numbers kind of even out and the score doesn't look as bad as it does. I do want to talk about one specific thing with the offense, and it's just a little tangent that I'm just going to take us on. There's one play. It was the first play of the third quarter, and I kind of I kind of referenced it earlier because it was a, a drop that Georgia State it took a 40-yard gain plus off the board, but it was Robert Lewis coming out of the backfield, and he just went totally uncovered down the middle. And it wasn't the best throw in the world, but it was one of those situations where Darren was had a guy bearing down on him, and he just needed to get it off and get it in the area of Robert Lewis. And like I said, he was just totally uncovered. I love the look. And the thing is, is if you have Robert Lewis come into the backfield, if he's able to run routes out of the backfield like that, either it's going to be a complete mismatch for his skill set and his speed down the middle of the field, or they're going to move a corner over. One of the better corners are going to be taken away from one of the sides of the field. You got an opportunity there. More likely, it's going to be the former, and it's going to be a linebacker or a safety on him who just they cannot keep up with his speed. And as part of just like what we've been looking for for a new OC who was a receivers coach and had that passing game background, I just got to say, like, I think the concepts have jumped up, and we've seen stuff like that that you can see they're trying new things, they're installing new things like that, getting their playmakers in good positions to make plays. I hope we continue to see that package because. You know, if the throw gets brought in or if there's protection holds up a little bit and Darren can step into it a little bit more, um, or even if he can't step into it, Darren could have made a better throw there. Like, I think it was catchable. I think that he got it in the vicinity of the guy. But if you want to add the third option, if Darren could put a better one on, that would have been a huge play. And as long as you're finding ways to get him in, like out of that package, there's a lot of options. Um, I'm assuming there's one where you're going to have to hand it off to him just to show that look. Um, but I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Not anything that had to do with the result of the game or even the outcome because it was an incomplete pass because I think that's the only time they showed it. But I noticed that. I really like that. And it's part of just the general thing that what we've been saying about the passing game today, like it's been better. And I think it's been better because you've seen some new ideas and you've seen a commitment to it. And I think it's paying off. I think we're just in a weird place where for the first time in a few years, the passing game is outpacing the rushing game. Like that hasn't been the case for Georgia State's offense. All right. I'll take the bait that you have laid, but probably don't realize that you've laid. So it's been four games. What are your thoughts on McKnight as a coordinator from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I there's some of the tendencies that have already been tendencies like when Georgia State's in second and short, third and short, you know, fourth and short, the play call has basically been what it's been, and teams are wise to it. But that was kind of already the philosophy under 
Brad Glenn. It's like Sean Elliott wants to trust his guys up front to make holes in manageable down and distances. And it hasn't been paying off because the execution hasn't been there. And there's been some plays left on the table, some drives left on the table because they've not converted on some manageable distances. But I don't know that that's a McKnight thing. I think that's just what this offensive philosophy is. This is what this team is about. Like I say, like the one thing we looked at is like, is there going to be more of a passing game? Is there going to be more explosiveness from the passing game? I don't think that Darren is a, like, he's going to throw every easy pass. Like he can't do every throw, like what Grace, Grace McCall was doing on Thursday night. Like he isn't nearly as rounded in that regard, but he can throw it downfield and these receivers can get open. And when in tandem with the rushing attack, that's working like it should be like, that's just a really dangerous combo. And it's what we said going into the year. We needed to see, like I gave the stat uh, when we were talking about the offense before the season that a receiver caught one ball 40 yards or more last season. And I don't know the number now. I think Jamari's got a couple over 40, uh, but there were a few touchdowns there that were in like the 25 to 40 range, which is like, okay, that wasn't a 40 yard play, but it couldn't be. And a couple of them would have been if the field was 25 yards longer. Uh, so the one thing that I think he's been able to do is get the passing game a little bit more explosive. And if the rest of it can get sorted out, like that is something that you can build on. And that's something that can be important for this offense going forward. And, you know, as to how much of Brad Glenn not being here is why the rushing attack isn't as crisp. I mean, there might be something to that. We aren't in there in practice every day. We don't know the minutia of what's going wrong with that. But so I guess it, you can't say that that's not a Trent McKnight thing also, as far as just not getting the most out of the running game. But we kind of knew that the ideas he could bring is an opportunity to get something more of the passing game. And I think that's happened so far. Yeah. I'd echo those sentiments. I think I don't remember too many, like I would call Robert Lewis, Georgia state's best receiver this year. Um, maybe not on. I mean, talent, he's got a touch on every game. He, yeah. Man just finds the end zone. Right. Um, and I don't recall there being any, plays last year or the year before where you could take Georgia State's best receiver and do him put him in the backfield and you know get creative like that which is like I, I don't say that to you know crap on coach Glenn I think he did have some creative plays um but it just that was just an interesting wrinkle I noticed that too um so I, I think I agree with you I don't I don't know what we can attribute to McKnight at this time and what we can't and Honestly, I'd certainly hope he is not the reason why the rushing attack has taken a step back because, I mean, this is the second game in a row we've kind of said that the defensive line for the opponent has just been hungrier than Georgia State's offensive line. And I, Georgia State was hurt this week. I'm not, I, I, I try not to be too critical when we are talking about backups. Um, and this is what we'll find out. Like, right. we'll see how long the injuries last and it's like, if this is the starting five for the next nine games or eight games, can't get ahead of myself with the zero and four record. If it's the offensive line for the next eight games, like okay, then this is it. So these are the guys, and maybe a full week of practice can help with that. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, like they're not having to worry about like the oh, we got to get ready for Army in a different look. Like it's not such an ordeal when you're the offense going against Army's defense as far as like scheme and getting prepped for the triple option like the defense is and so you hope it can just be a nice week of practice or has been a nice week of practice kind of 
cleaning things up, knowing that whoever's going to start is going to start because we don't know the injury situation, like when it all like the TikTok on it. And it's like, even if the guys knew on like Sunday of the week, the game, the the Sunday before the coastal game that they were going to be starting. It's, you know, that's only a handful of days and then you're it's game day. Like this is a whole lot more time for guys to be settled in their roles and know what they're doing, know they're going out to play and they've already got a game under their belt. And the, you know, it's kind of a, it works both ways thing that like the offensive line, having the stability that it's had the last four seasons where basically you exchange one guy in and out at a time, the other four staying and you're returning a lot of starters. It was a positive because the offensive line was really good. And I think the negative that you can point to is that there wasn't a lot of young guys get, you know, at one at a time, guys were getting in to get starts and to get some experience. And other than that, it was a lot of guys who were just being backups on the depth chart. And so when it's their turn, they don't have the game experience that maybe they would have had if they started starting games a season or two ago. And they were maybe not as experienced as a guy like Pat Bartlett or Shamarius Gilmore, but they were a season experienced rather than this was their first game. And so where you're at right now is just, this is their time to go prove it and to go learn on the job. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is coach Elliott's bread and butter. I know he's not hands-on with the offensive line uh, like he was when he was a position coach, but it's, you know, that it's something that he knows has to be working for the offense to work. And so I kind of expect it will keep getting the attention and see how it shakes out. I mean, it should get better. We have seen this group be good, you know, and we'll talk about the defensive line, you know, in a second, but that's a group that has also kind of taken a step back from where they've been in the first couple of games. And I think that will also get better. Like it's, it would shock me still, you know, we're coming up on what, 25% of the season's done and it still looks like there's some, something left in the tank for Georgia state on both sides of the ball. Um, I think the way that they've played, like there's absolutely still a chance for them to be better. And there's absolutely a chance for them to be a little bit more consistent. So, you know, we'll see. Definitely. We'll see. Yeah. And starting with the defense, starting on the other side of the injury thing, um, it seemed pretty obvious from early on that Blake Carroll was going to be out for extended time. And he wasn't in the depth chart before the coastal game. Like he was out on the sideline, um, not dressed out. Like I don't want to crutches. It was maybe one of those Walker things. I couldn't really tell from where I was looking, but he's hurt. And the guys that are replacing him, it's the same situation where they haven't played because they've been behind two linebackers that play pretty much every snap in Carroll and Menzial. And they got exposed a little bit. You know, the first play was a wheel route out of the backfield. Justin Abraham was late to recognize, late to get there. And it was something after the game that Coach Elliott even was like, win 14, win the backfield. I knew it was going to be a wheel route. We talked about it. But it's just that coaching thing of making sure the play recognition is there on the field with the guys that it translates and that that wasn't there. And I don't bring it up or name him just to be like, this is his fault. This was bad. Like when you play guys that are, young and that haven't got a lot of game experience stuff like that's gonna happen and you just hope it turns into a learning experience and they get better from it but early on that was a little bit of a trend where georgia state having that spot where they lost a really experienced starter 
got picked apart a little bit by a really experienced quarterback, really effective quarterback and a play caller. And, you know, I don't know that they necessarily went in saying like, this guy's out, we need to target their linebackers. But if they did, probably it was a smart thing to do. And they certainly got the benefit of taking advantage of that position while it was, you know, vulnerable, I guess. They certainly did it. I mean, they went back to it a few drives later and they had another big play. Like it <laughs> got wiped out by a penalty, but yeah, yeah. It was the exact same play it was the one <laughs> right after Dorsey made it 27 17. And that would have been like the absolute air letting out of the balloon all timer. Like that would have been like, thank God for that penalty wiping out. Cause I mean, oof. Yeah. And like, it's obviously it's a lot easier to be what, you know, watching on TV or, you know, in the press box and saying, Hey, they're doing something, you know, like I admittedly have never played any sort of competitive football, um, but I do have eyes and, you know, to put this kindly teams are dumber than we think they are. They probably, if something works, they're probably going to run it again just to see if, you know, if you can't stop it the first time, what makes you think you're going to stop it the second time. Right. And that, I mean, that was the philosophy and, you know, (laughs) I guess like we're, we're talking about the defense and man, I feel bad for Georgia state's defense after last week. I do because they didn't play well. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel bad for them in that regard, but Grayson McCall is really good. <laughs> and I don't want to admit that. And I, I, I am not sad that I have to admit that, but like it sucks that he has terrorized Georgia State the way that he has because they started going a little bit more option heavy, I think, in the second quarter of the second half. Um, and he just made every correct play. And I don't mean that to just be like complimentary. I mean, like literally every correct decision, the chemistry with his option, man, and the receivers and the blocking, it was all there. You know, he was being tackled and then he would finally release the ball as the, you know, the, uh, the read guy that you're you know, looking for on that outside pitch as he was kind of coming over to help Georgia state tackle. That's when Grayson would get rid of it. And it's just, honestly, it's ridiculous, you know? And I, I, I feel like Georgia state did the defense did a good job in the second half of, you know, you, you can't really necessarily force overthrows, but they covered a little bit better to kind of allow the offensive line, or excuse me, the defensive line to get there, get home. Um, didn't get a sack. You know, the, it, it wasn't the best day for the defensive line, but outside after the first, the first quarter, I did feel like the defense kind of stepped up a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating for a team that's led, you know, the, for a team that's been so good at sacking the quarterback the last couple of years that we're looking at, you know, they, they only have seven sacks. Like, is that number low? No, it's yes. not like yes. That it, is a low number. It's low for Georgia State, absolutely. But if you if you think about the games that they've played, Charlotte got the ball out really quickly. You know, it wasn't like the the number is low, but it's not like we're talking about oh, the offensive lines were having to defend fifteen seconds every single play. No, I just think those teams, the last two teams that Georgia State has played, have done a good job of getting the ball out and kind of allowed 
their receivers to make plays and not have Georgia State's defensive line have an impact. You know, Georgia State had six sacks through the first two games. Those sacks were helpful to keep Georgia State in those games. And, you know, but there wasn't the impact that we saw with the sacks last year where Georgia State got a lot of they got to third down a lot. And that's where they were getting their sacks. You know, that's where they were getting their strip sacks if they got if they forced a fumble. You know, those sacks last year were very impactful. And, I, you know, I don't want to take away from the, the six sacks that they had against the Carolina schools. Um, but they just didn't have the same level of impact. And it's, you know, it's it's annoying that we have to credit the other team for having a really good game plan. Um, but it's just Georgia State's just going to have to be better at that point, And that's just going to have to be a point of emphasis for them as they move forward. Yeah. I mean, you're right to just say like, there is a part of what coastal did on offense that is about coastal being good on offense and having the perfect QB for the system. Jamie Chadwell wants to run. Like, it's not just an excuse to be like the other team is good. Like that was a part of it. There were times where Grayson McCall was just making plays. There were other times where you just weren't being disruptive and he had time to make some throws and he can make any throw in the book, like any route he's got it. The receivers were open enough. He found them. There were windows of time for him to throw. And that's just the general theme of the last two games. And, you know, you talk about it being different from the first two and it's like yeah there's kind of a line for the defense for me the first two games i thought the defense played well i thought the defense gave up some plays against a good unc offense that is going to get big plays against a lot of teams and got several several big plays against app state in their opener when they put up 63 and south carolina held them to 306 yards and i don't know that they're a very good rushing team but you held them to 78 rushing yards and it really felt like something where you were controlling the trenches against SEC school and the Charlotte game and the coastal game, it's been kind of flipped and you're seeing defense that you haven't seen in a few years for Georgia state, where it's just big busts and big plays because it's predicated on not letting that happen. And so when you're giving up the big plays and then on the other drives, it's long drawn out drives where you're forcing third downs and not getting off the field all of a sudden, Coastal's in plus territory. And I think the defense did a good job after the first quarter of forcing some field goals. And that's what let the offense put up some points and get it back to a 10-point game at halftime. Because, you know, on balance, wasn't a 10-point halftime game. Like, Coastal well outgained Georgia State. It was a really good job of fighting in back to that level and having a chance, especially with getting the ball in the second half. But they got a little bit taken advantage of in the first quarter and then settled things down, started forcing field goals and field goal attempts. Uh, Coastal missed one in the fourth quarter to keep some points off the board. But with one sack and just not getting the quarterback off his spot is something that's been a thing in the last two games. And it's going to keep haunting them. I mean, this week's kind of a weird one because Army's different. They're probably not going to throw it more than eight times at the most, just because that's not really what they do. But especially as they get back into more traditional offenses that throw it a lot more when it's pass plays, they're going to have to find a way to get home. And we know they've got the talent to do it because they've done it the last two seasons. And a lot of those guys are back. It just hasn't been happening. And that's ultimately what's going to lead to you're not getting, you're, you're allowing some of these big plays and you're allowing these third down conversions because 
when the receiver's 20 yards down the field, you can't cover him for that long. He's going to find a way to get open. He's going to find a hole. Um, He's going to get away from his man. It really does start there. It just starts up front, and that's the cliche, but it's the cliche because it's always true. And Georgia State's going to have to find a way of being more effective up front defensively. Yeah, the disruption, the disruption there is so important. And it, it is a cliche, but look at last year. Look at this year. The reason that, that they have not been able to come away with a win this year up front hasn't been as good as it could be. You know, if it was even better, they probably beat UNC. They probably beat South Carolina. Look at last year, like I said. When the if you want to know why the script flipped for them, simply because guys on the defensive line just started dominating, you know, like it's, it it sounds like it's just, Oh, you know, you brush it off and it's simple. But if you look at the game log, you know, through the first four games last year, they only had eight sacks, right? They got none against army. It's army. Then they got two against North Carolina, two against Charlotte, and then two against Auburn from the rest of the season on, they were regularly getting, Three sacks, four sacks, three sacks. You know, there was one other game that they did. Is the App State game was the only time that they didn't have multiple sacks in a game. You know, and it's just it's that level of disruption. You know, coming into the season, coach talked about you know the defensive line doesn't want to just get sacks because sometimes you're going to affect the play, but you're not going to actually get a guy home. But it's you know forcing a guy to throw it out of bounds and get rid of a down and take an incompletion. It's you know forcing a guy to make a mistake or get back to the line of scrimmage and you know used to lose the down, but they didn't gain anything. And it's those plays that you know didn't really happen against Coastal. It's those plays that have been missing for this team so far this year yeah just five tackles for loss in this game for a total of nine yards compare that to coastal and seven tackles for loss for 26 yards and like that's not a distinction without a difference because it's how you get teams into these third and longs where you have that much more time to tee off because guys have to run longer routes to get past the sticks one quarterback hurry uh, no pass break or one pass breakup um and it was batted down at the line. But more of plays like that, like I obviously you want more sacks, but that's not going to happen every play. Like there's a reason, even as good as the pass rush was, Georgia State only got in the high 30s in sacks the last two years because you're not going to do it that often. It's about timeliness and it's about doing it a couple of times a game. But the like you say, the other plays are what isn't there and what could stand to be improved. And you're not going to play a pass offense this week against Army, but even just with this game, if you're not looking at the sack numbers, there's more of that stuff. Just general disruptiveness is what the defensive front's got to get back to because it's what this defense is built around. And when it's not happening, everything else is going to falter. And that's kind of what you've been seeing the last two weeks. Kind of just doesn't matter how. Like this week, it was McCall. Last week, it was Charlotte. And offense that had a good game, but didn't need to have that good of a game. And it started because you never really got them uncomfortable and never got Reynolds uncomfortable in the pocket. All right. So let's go ahead and take a look at army. The uh, opponent for the Panthers this weekend, army is one and two and coming off of a bye after beating FCS Villanova 49 to 10 on September 17th. They're coached by Jeff Monken in his ninth season. He is 59 and 45 in his time at West point, which makes him the second most winningest coach in program history. This is Georgia state's first trip to army, but the teams faced off in Atlanta in 2019 and 2021. The Panthers took the first meeting 28-21, while 
while the Black Knights won last season's opener 43-10. Army has played one common opponent of Georgia State, Coastal Carolina, whom they lost to 38-28 in this season's opening game. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the Army Black Knights? Yeah, I mean, last week I said it, and I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, that like the Coastal game really was just a pure gut check. Like It was going to be how you respond to the loss that you just had because you were not going to have hardly any practice time. And as it turns out, there were going to be some guys injured that was going to affect the starting lineups. And uh, so you weren't going to be able to really do a lot for that game. And you you have a couple extra days to recover. And that can either be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on where the team is at mentally. But I think ultimately it's a good thing because three games at 12 days is a lot. And I know they're all home games, but it's still a lot of football to play in that stretch of time and to have nothing really go right at the end of the day. So hopefully they can use that time to kind of recenter everything and get ready because, you know, it's not a gut check this week, but it's kind of like you got to really want it defensively to be like, all right, we can practice. Let's go. Let's get cut block a lot because Army's going to run the triple option and throw this old offense at you that you've got to get really prepped for every time you play it. Uh, it's really just going to, it's another week. It's kind of extended of gut check, but it's not just like pure raw want to will to win, whatever. Like there's a little bit more time to get set for it, but it's still kind of like, it is what it is. Like, you know what army is going to do to you offensively. You know, you have to be ready for it and give it your best shot. And that, I mean, that's where it's going to start for me. Cause I think, the offense has shown you glimpses the last two weeks, even in these losses, of the explosiveness that you're looking for, and they can put up points. A lot of the time last year, the defense was the better unit, and there were games where they got the team over the line for the win when the offense could have been a lot better. And I think it flipped back here to where you, the defense has got to give the offense more of a chance in some of these games. And you know what better way to start than triple option defense that, you know, as as I was saying, you know, it is kind of an annoying thing to deal with. As far as the rushing goes, Georgia State's done a pretty good job under Nate Fuquay getting ready for these triple option offenses, partly because, I mean, when he was in the SOCON as Wofford's DC, like every other week they were playing a triple option team. So he's just, he's used to it. But last year it was more that they got three for four, for 98 yards and two touchdowns on pass plays. They really hurt you and that the offense in that game was the issue. The defense has shown an ability to not let the option flex bone offenses hurt them, and they got to get back to that this week. Yeah, in an alternate universe, Georgia State, we would be talking about, oh, this Army game. It's a great practice week for Georgia State since they play Georgia Southern next week. But, you know, we know that's not the case. But I I think it helps Georgia State that they they had some extra rest before this game because – Army might be good. The teams that run the triple option might be good, but a lot of prep for the triple option is just effort. It's just, like you said, do I want to get cut blocked for, cut blocked for 60 minutes? Do and I want to look up? That's the other thing. I yeah. Discipline. It's eye discipline, lane discipline, you know, and I don't, if Georgia State was 100% healthy on the defensive side of the ball, I'd say, yeah, okay. These are things that they don't struggle with. I like their chances. I do. One thing that's going to be really important for them, um, Army is really good in the red zone. Just plain and simple. They have kicked one field goal this year. But in the red zone, they are eight for eight. Literally perfect. 
you know, part of that could be the opponent, part of that could be the offense. But if Army gets within the 20, they're probably scoring. Um, that's important. You know, that's something that Georgia State is going to need to be cognizant of. And, you know, they're going to have to be able to stop them. They're going to have to, you know, get use every single tackle, defensive tackle and defensive line that they have on the roster because, you know, finding keeping army off the board even if you're kicking even if they're kicking field goals just the nature of their offense you know we talked about it heading into the 2019 matchup or the 20 i think sorry the 2021 matchup army loves to control tempo they love to control time of possession you know make sure they have the football longer than their opponent does and you know the last couple of weeks that's not been something that georgia state has been good at so if Army continues to have the ball at Georgia State's not being able to match them point per point, those field goals will feel a lot heavier than three points. And I looked at the common opponent on this just because I feel like it's what you can go off of. And Coastal played well against Georgia State and won by 17. And they played well against Army and won by 10. And the thing that stood out to me and that kind of is backed up by how they performed against the run against Georgia State is the 202 rushing yards on 39 attempts they gave up against Army. And if you take out a 70-yard run that Army had, it was actually, you know, without that run, it was 132 yards on 38 rushes, just 3.47 yards per carry. Like, if Georgia State can find that, and we know that they've had some success stopping the run, I think it's been more lapses with secondary or with pass rush not getting home, quarterbacks having time to throw that's really bit them the last couple of weeks. If they can start by controlling the dive, which is like number one, two, and three of what you want to do when you're facing a triple option offense, I think they can maybe be in a point where they're not giving up huge uh, long drives. They're getting off the field. We literally think that you know Thomas Gore, Keem Smith are really good up the middle, important guys for this game because that dive is such a key thing. And then on the other side of the ball, Coastal went dramatically run heavy. They ran 50 days to 17 pass plays, and they just were really efficient against Army in the pass game. They were 12 of 17 with those pass plays for 174 yards. They got 268 yards on the ground, and it was kind of similar. Georgia State, they gave up. Georgia State gave up. 272 on the ground at Coastal. And there were a couple bigger runs mixed in there that added those numbers because the point of which is when Coastal faced Army, they kind of just moved the ball without getting too many big explosive run plays. Their biggest run play against Army was 18 yards. And I think that's an area that Georgia State can live in. Even if things don't get 100% better, Like I think we're still looking for more of those big run plays. Marcus Carroll has busted off a couple of long runs, but other than that, it's been mostly topping out in the high teens. But I think even if you're in a place where you're getting more of those plays, even if it's just you're getting five at a time, six at a time, and then popping one for 12 or 13, that's a place where the run game can get to without massive improvements. And it'll mean a lot for this offense. And I think it's a defense that based on the early returns of 2022, there's going to be opportunities there. Army's given up some rush yards. Georgia State has the ability to run the ball well. They have the athletes to do it just going to be about kind of the mesh on that offensive line and getting after it. But even as earlier, I was like talking about like, Oh, really bottomed out 78 yards against coastal. 
Like it doesn't feel like it's that far away. It's just when the execution hasn't been there for four games and it just feels everything feels off. Maybe it feels further away than it is, but I think even with just a marginal improvement in this game might be an opportunity to get that running game going. And that'd be key, you know. The only team that didn't really run, you know, super well against Army was Villanova, but you know, still in 35 attempts, still put up 173 yards. That's yeah. And I I think with the way that Georgia State has been passing, there is a scenario in which you can live with that. Obviously, it would be nice for Georgia State to, you know, like you said, bust out some of those big runs, bust out, you know, back up to 250 land and, you know, get the running numbers a little bit more evened out this year. But they could walk away with the win if they still are in that 170 range, just given where their passing has been lately, you know, if they execute in other areas. And, you know, the other side of it is that Army's given up some plays in the past game. They have. and. So if it's in conjunction with the running game being a little bit better and getting more of these explosive plays that are becoming the norm for the passing game, you know, that's kind of your opportunity. And I think that you trade if you can hit on some big plays. Like it's a dangerous game to do, but I think you'd take some of the big plays if it meant that Army gets like five more minutes of time of possession because like that's risky because that's what Army wants to do and that's how you get into a position where you're taken out of the game just because Army keeps just sitting on the ball. But I think you, whether it's in the run game or the passing game, if you can find a downfield pass and you can hit a long run, get that mojo going, I don't know that that's a bad thing, even though, as David said, like game, game control, time of possession, like that, that is a factor. But it, I don't know. I'm kind of on the mind that if you're not going to do it better than Army, which is what they're designed to do, if you can take advantage of other things and make plays happen anyway, like that's still a positive in the end. Like it might be better to look for those shots, even if it's a little risky, because if you miss on them and army's got the ball for so long, like that's where you can just go ages without your offense seeing the field. But that is the other thing. It's just that like armies and they're going to be coming in kind of wanting to play better. Like Nate Woody has good defenses that defense has been exposed a little bit, and I'm sure they're going to want to come in and prove that they're better than that. And so in saying that, that's kind of that. I will say that that is what they're going to come in and doing. But frankly, at this point with Georgia State being 0-4, they kind of can't let the other team be more hungry like that. Like, okay, Army's going to want to come in and prove that. Maybe when they play Georgia Southern the week after that, X part of their game, they're going to be better at on either side of the ball. But like Georgia State's going to have to live in that zone where they're not satisfied where they're at. They need to be the hunger team. And so it's kind of got to start on the road against Army. And they play hard. So it's not a given. It's not an easy thing to do. But you know, you're sitting there at 0-4. You can only afford one more loss if you don't find a way to win this Army game on the road. And so like the road ahead's tough. And you're going to face a lot of teams that are talented and that have goals themselves and you want to play hard, but you've kind of lost the margin of error for that to matter. Like you have to find a way to be the hungrier team and to go out and make more plays. All right. Uh, we'll see how things stack up Saturday. Kickoff in West Point is at noon and you can catch the game on a CBS sports network. Brady will have live coverage on Twitter. And as always, you can catch our recaps and written thoughts on Panther talk after the game. That's all the time we have for this week. We will catch you next time on the Thursday night podcast. Have a great week and go Panthers.